the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffle Podcast, episode 126. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now onto the show. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. Do you think it's weird if people are listening to us in the afternoon and they hear us say, good morning. Uh, hopefully they're used to it now. <laughs> yeah, we, we just record these in, a, in the morning, guys. It's yeah. our freaking show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, I like our new motto. It's our freaking show. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> I sound like a frog. I can sound like a frog on our show. That's just how it's going to be. Oh, we're early morning girls. I um, We just had a communication with a guest that thought that we were recording at seven at night. And we're like, oh, no. No, we don't. Do I know. <laughs> I was like, I was so confused when I was reading that. I was like, oh, she thinks we're recording at night. That is so funny. <laughs> well, we're a hot mess at night, right? Like we don't do anything at night. No, 7 a.m. That's my time. And then it's always nine your time. So yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've been up for four hours and four and a half hours at this yeah. point. Um, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. My, my improv class is at night now. It was last night and it's so, it's so hilarious how worthless I am. I'm running on about 20% brain power at that mm-hmm. hour of night in the evening, but really absurd things can come out of my mouth. I found so <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing for comedy. Yeah. Well, I'm taking an afternoon art class and I usually take morning art classes. It's really interfering with my nap time, Sandra. It's really (laughs) getting in the way of my two o'clock nap that I like because yeah, I'm up from like five to two doing my thing. And then I take like a 20 minute power nap. Not anymore. (laughs) I'm in a hot, sweaty, old college hall with no air conditioning. So it's, you know, it's really rife for just like taking a, a, like a nap. Oh yeah. God, what is it about? Yeah. Afternoon and like a warm building. Mm -mm. It's like, can you just have one of those little mats in the corner? Little, (laughs) you know, some like they do in elementary school classrooms. 
Yeah, wait till I start having hot flashes. It's going to be a real big mess in there. But anyhow, oh, we'll just see what happens. Um, <laughs> but let's, let's move on. We don't need to talk about that. Um, <laughs> let's just dive in. You want to dive in? Let's dive in. I'm excited today. I'm very excited. Um, on the show today, we have our friend Caitlin. And the last time Caitlin was on the Unruffled podcast was way back in episode 22. So if you guys have not heard um, that interview, I highly suggest you go back and listen to it. You don't have, it's not a prerequisite for listening to this, but it's a beautiful accompaniment. Right, because Caitlin was then celebrating her one-year sobriety milestone, and so much has changed since then. I know. So it's been two years, and we are going to talk to her um, today about all the growth she's had as an artist and as a woman, um, you know, in recovery, who's not, who's not ingesting or drinking alcohol anymore and, um, leveling up. So what I think, what I think about when I think about Caitlin, and that's what's happened over the last two years. So, um, and for those of you who don't know, Caitlin does our intro and our outro music, um, to the show. Uh, and that's a track on Caitlin's new, um, EP freaks and misfits is the name of the song. And she's going to talk about that with us today. So welcome to the show, Caitlin. Hi there. Hi, Caitlin. Hi. I'm so happy to have you back on the show today. It's good to be here. Can you believe it's been two years? I can't believe it's been two years. Um, it's funny. It feels like it was just yesterday and also a lifetime ago. Hmm. <laughs> You were getting your hair done that day, remember? Oh my God, that is so true. That was the day that I went gray, that I embraced gray. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. It was my one year sober anniversary. And to celebrate, I chopped all my hair off and dyed what was left. Um, We just stripped the color off what was left. So it revealed what was my natural color, which is mostly gray. So we're going to use one of the photos that you sent us that's you're using for your promo for your new um, album. Anyway, my, I'm jumping ahead, but your hair is amazing right now. Thank you. It's funny because it doesn't, it doesn't have, it hasn't been cut since that day. Oh my God. Oh, really? so it's not, it like has no style whatsoever. And some days it really works like the day I was taking those photos. Thank goodness. And other days it's just turban time. Oh, oh good. Oh, I need to embrace the turban. You know, people have been telling me that they've loved my hair in the last year. And I don't, I keep telling them it's called neglect. I've done nothing. <laughs> No, but you're, you would really rock a turban. You have the face for it and you have the style for it with those moo's that you wear and all those fabulous pickups that you get from thrift stores. I see it. Yes. I need to watch the turban twisting tutorials though, because I don't know if I'm good at that. No, that's how I learned how to do it. (laughs) So you mean like you have to put it on, like not one that's like ready-made turban. It's like twisting that thing up. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you've got to, you, you really need to get into thickness, stiffness, like African wax print fabrics are great because they still have a bit of wax in the, fa- in the fiber. So you can kind of form them a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have lots of that, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> surprise, <Okay>. surprise. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> no doubt that you have that. 
Oh, so where should we start here? Because I know so much has um, transpired um, as, as things happen in recovery, like, or when we remove alcohol from our lives, like creativity um, goes in one direction. We dig deeper into our story and look back at our past and see how these things kind of all click and fit together. Um, so where should we go here? Where should we start, Sandra? Why don't you, since we really want to dig in and talk about your new solo release, um, why don't you tell us the, what was behind creating this? And maybe you have to go back and talk about, you know, your kind of like how you got to, how you got here. Well, um, I actually, just as you were talking now, I remember when we, um, when we spoke on episode 22, that I was just coming out from behind the scenes. I'd been producing with my partner, Thomas Schumacher for, um, you know, for all these years, for like almost 20 years. Um, and we had a band together and then, um, and then we became parents and then, I was working in the background and I was, um, I wasn't even putting my name on anything. And, um, and at that point I was just starting to add my name to as a, as a co-producer and, and things like that. And then, um, you know, throughout that time, I've always been, I'd always, I've always been writing songs, but, um, I was also hiding, you know, I, I, I had been through after my daughter was born. I, um, I, had delayed well i think i'd always i'd always had ptsd but i just didn't know that that's what it was but after she was born i just remembered my childhood in one big whoosh like um i describe it like a tsunami just washed in and came and washed all the um all the kind of facades and stories that i'd made up to to be able to just um cope with um my life and i think and i've learned since i've learned about um trauma i know that that's what children do we they can't we can't cope with with the things that are happening to us when we're children so we just make up stories and pretend like it didn't happen and I, anyway so i remembered everything and um and i just needed to hide i needed i was really not okay for a really long time and i um and i needed to hide behind um well, I just needed to hide completely. Actually, I, I was quite um, shut in at home and which is when my drinking really escalated. Um, so when we spoke last time, I was just starting to, you know, I, I was a year sober and I was, um, and I was starting to think about, about being more in the spot, not in the spotlight, but just not hiding anymore. And, um, and then since then I have been, continuing to do that um, in my productions with Thomas. Um, I have been painting and I created my own website, started painting and selling my paintings online. Um, I started to write more and more songs. And then at some point during that, um, that production, I realized that I'd never had a solo release that I'd always written songs and produced music with other people and, and, you know, either been in a band, I was the front woman of a band. So sure. I was, I was on, you know, front and center there, but um, it had never been, you know, Caitlin. 
And so I decided to change that. And, mm. um, and I decided to found my own record label to do it so that I can release my music as I want to, when I want to, and how I want to. Mm. You know, Caitlin, you have been like a prolific artist in the past two years. I mean, you have really produced a lot of work musically and as a visual artist. Um, has all of this have has all of this helped you sort of process this trauma that you're that you've that came in as a whoosh have you been has, has it been absolutely. helping you process through this yes completely um it funnily i mean interestingly um music became specifically songwriting became too hard for me throughout all of that because everything that i was um that I was writing was really heavy and really um, not releasable in its content, really. Um, and, um, and traumatizing to write, traumatizing to sing. It was just, it was a real mess. And, um, and when I got sober, I was fortunate enough to meet up with you guys <laughs> And, and, um, and you actually both, you know, this, but you both got me into painting in your own ways. Um, Tammy was the first one to say, your art is amazing. And, um, and then you started the recovery gals art exchange Mm -hmm. and, um, and I, you were my first exchange partner, Sandra. So feel so lucky. I love my piece from you. It hangs on my wall right now. Well, we're packing to move, but it will come right. It will be right back in its spot. Yeah. And, and so, and that was, it really, I, re, I, I remember that time with, um, with misty eyes because I remember creating um, those first pieces and thinking, Oh my God, this is actually quite good. I quite like this. And I wasn't used to feeling like that about anything I had created for a long time. You know, it had been a long time since, since I created anything that I felt really in wonder of, you know, that, that kind of, that wonder feeling that you get when you create something that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I felt that and, um, yeah. And then I just kept painting. I kept going for that feeling. And, um, and what's, what's really, um, what's really amazing about that is that it brought me back to music, the process of painting and, um, starting from nothing and just having the courage to put another color on the brush and choose a brush and put it on the canvas and, um, and make mistakes, but then decide that they're not mistakes that they're, you know, that that they're there for a reason. And all I have to do is study it for long enough to figure out what comes next. And, um, and then, just trust the process, you know, it was really, it was such a metaphor for my whole and has continued to be a metaphor for my whole unfolding, my whole life, my songwriting, my relationship with my husband, with my daughter, with my, with everything is, um, is just, is kind of embodied in the process of painting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Did a lot of your painting, did they have, I mean, for me, like sometimes color is a metaphor. Um, the painting itself can be a metaphor or a translation of an experience. Did you have any of that happen when you were creating? Because for a while there, you were, like, like um, Sandra said, prolific. You were, you were really 
really producing a lot of paintings. I yeah. I haven't done any for a while, actually. I, I tend to, I, I tend to work like that. I have mm-hmm. and trust. Yeah. I, I, I work in, in spurts of, um, of, uh, production and then I get really tired in between and I've learned to trust that process too. And if I'm tired and I just need to have a resting time mm-hmm. to just rest. I think that's so important to say Mm. because, uh, you know, so many of us, yeah, work in seasons this way or, and it's okay. It's okay. It's not like you're not, you know, it's sometimes you just look at your paints and say, I'll, I'll be back. (laughs) You'll be all right. I'll be back. Completely. And, and to get some um, attention again. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And to know that, that there's no point well, and that's something that I learned with my songwriting because um, it was so important to me. It was so important to me. It became too important. I was clinging on to it for for everything, for identity, for life, for purpose, for it was just so, so, so important. It became too important to me. And I, and I, and I shut it down with my grasping, you know, mm-hmm. and I really blocked myself up there. Um, and I really learned, um, not to do that with painting and because it's interesting because like I can't live without painting now. It's so important to me, but it's, but it's, but I'm really very conscious not to let it become too important to let it be. Uh, And yeah. And, and really that, that, that message throughout my whole life, Um, you know, the non-attachment, thing is not just for Buddhists. It's for all of us. <laughs> right. Right. Well, well I write about that when we get too precious about things, it um, creates a, like a wall, it kind of will wall us off from, from that thing. Yeah, absolutely. If I remember, um, if, if I can remember this, it's, it's sometimes I don't remember it, but when I can, um, you know, painting is very much a call and response um, exercise. So really when you're not do when it's resting, you're also responding, you know, like you need to take yeah. from it and it'll this call is another you. thing I learned from you actually, Tammy is, a, is how to paint in a call and response way. You said it once. And I, and I, I've, I've read every blog post and listened to everything you've said about creating, um, art and, and it's really informed all of my paintings. Well, yeah. And I didn't make that up. My professor taught me that my painting Mm -hmm. professor, and she just said, that's what it is. And, and I think that can translate to a lot of things, right? It's a call and response for everything in life, for the spiritual work I do, for the schoolwork I do with my husband, um, with my family, call and response and, and like a thoughtful response. And sometimes that is no response. (laughs) Yes. That's to rest. (laughs) That's and to rest. Yeah, and to learn not to try to make the painting something that it isn't, but mm-hmm. let it become what it wants to be. Yeah, it's you have to be in tune. You have to be listening to yourself. You have to really pay attention, um, but not like it's so hard to do. You'll know it's your intuition. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like constantly coming back to yourself as a channel. And, and sometimes that channel, it's, it's easy for the channel to, to be blocked, whether it's of your own making or that it's time for it to, to, to be blocked. And then it, and then it, it unblocks again. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's, um, well, I think actually it always is something else. 
your 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 attention is being you know um, drawn somewhere else there's some other area of your life that needs attention and whether that's um exercise or uh input in the form of uh, galleries books poetry you know sometimes you need to you need to just stop and figure out what it is that that's required next mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i'm feeling i'm feeling the call to I mean, I know I'm going away to study with um, a painter, but I'm feeling the call to just shut it all down right now. Like I'm just tired and visually not making any work. And I know that my trip to go study with Heather Chantos, who I know you and I both greatly love her work. Um, and she's, um, she's, I'm sure it will spark something. I trust that. So I'm not stressed out that I haven't made any work in a year. I'm, I know something's going to happen. <laughs> but you've made so much work in, in the last year. I mean, I yeah. I mean, look at the ceramics that you made. Mm. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. I guess I keep thinking of painting. Right. I just haven't painted. So yes, you're right. I have done other things to occupy my time. Um, but let's get back into your new, ep- your new album and right. your label it's, that you created. Well, it's an, actually an EP because an album oh. is something that's like eight tracks or more and this one's just three. So oh, okay. I don't want people to go there and go, that's not an album. <laughs> EP, okay. How did you, I know that the music that we use for the intro and the outro of the show, you were working on some of this stuff way back when, when you let us so graciously let us use it for our show. And we're so honored that, that you let us do that. Mm. How, how did you come up with the name Freaks and Misfits? How did that speak to you? Well, it actually came from the, I mean, it it just, it came from me, but, but I guess it came, it formed into like a a concrete idea when I read um, a book by um, Lydia Yuknovich called The Misfits Manifesto. Mm. And, um, and in it, she and many other um, authors and, and, um, and artists and friends that she asked to to write a piece about misfittery um, talks about what it's like to be a misfit and um, and 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 all and you know the people that she that contributed to the book talk about their misfittery and and why they think they're misfits and how it is to live as a misfit and for me it was just this. Oh, it was such a um, an opening moment and of feeling feeling seen and heard and feeling like I'm a part of a club of um, people who will never meet because we're all too busy being by ourselves at home, <laughs> not fitting in. <laughs> and it just I have a lot of um, like it's not something that I ever have spoken about. I have because I have a lot of shame around. Um, having felt like a misfit my whole life and um, you know, like never really having friends when I was a kid and always feeling like I, there was something wrong with me, you know? And, um, and then when I read that book, I realized, you know, there's a reason why I didn't fit in. And that was because um, I was really different because of what I was experiencing at home. And, um, and that made me, made me very, very different from everybody else. And, um, uh, you know, and just like, I think when I think back to, you know, well, 
when I look at my daughter, for example, and I see how carefree she is with her friends and how um, easy it is for her to be, you know, with people. And I look back at myself at her age and think, oh my God, you know, it was so not like that for me. And, um, you know, I lived with um, just constant fear from when I can remember to probably like the last couple of years is when it's gone away because it was so in my, in my blood and bones to be so afraid all the time. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it creates like a disease around, around you. And so, and people feel uncomfortable around it. And then, and so you don't fit in or, you know, I would say something that about my life or what I think, and people would look at me like I had two heads and, um, because it was weird because I'm weird. Um, and I, and so when I, when I read this book and I felt so embraced by, um, this concept of not, not being alone in, in, in my misfittery that, um, that I wanted to give that that feeling to others and actually that whole um that whole sort of line of 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 being or line of creating is 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 my whole motivation for creating actually that um that i want to that i write um i write songs about how i feel and and what i'm going through and and i do it because i want other people who might be feeling the same to have a soundtrack for that time in their lives and a, and a chance to feel I'm not the only one who feels this way. Um, that's my, that's my whole, my whole mission. I music. love that. Can I add to really quickly that um, Lydia Yukonovich did a Ted talk as well about right being a misfit and it's excellent. I would recommend for anyone to go Google it. Yeah, definitely. That's, that was my end. I think she, I, like I saw that first and I mm -hmm. think from that she actually, I'm pretty sure the book was actually published with Ted, Ted, Ted publishing as well. Right. It's just a little, it's, she calls it a manifesto because yes, it is just a little book and you're right. I think it was published post TED talk because the TED talk was so successful. Yeah. Um, but you're right. It is so good. And it's, and you're, and you're right. It's about, you know, none of us welcome these bad things that happen to us as a child. Of course not. Um, but these things happen and they, and they do make us feel other. I mean, I, I relate to what you what you're saying. I, I felt that way too. I process mine differently. I disassociated. Like, yeah, you know, I hid under my, you know, blanket fort in my room and just completely disassociated and traveled into whole other imaginary worlds and, and then took that with me. And mm. it was my coping, you know, it was my coping strategy. It was a survival tactic. Yeah. And we all do everything that we have to do to survive those yeah. things. But then to come to a place where you can you know, change that narrative and, um, see, have some acceptance around it, but then also, um, turn it almost into a, you know, an asset like yeah. Lydia talks about it as being a portal <clears throat> as being like a, a portal to, 
to to other places exactly to deeper understandings about humanity creativity i mean what is for sure is that um is that these this kind of these kind of experiences create great art you know yes hands yes Yes. (laughs) definitely and and you're right you know it's certainly not a prerequisite prerequisite to be an artist to have trauma in your life but it sure has produced some fantastic art uh yeah yeah and actually that's what I one of the things I really love about um about painting is that it's so not literal you know like it doesn't it doesn't have to it just um like sometimes I think processing trauma can be you know, it needs to be literal sometimes, but you need a break from it too. And sometimes it's just, it's just so beautiful to have a, a like a stroke of, of, of color or texture on a canvas and let that be the expression. And you don't have to explain it to anyone. You don't have to stand behind it. You know, you might even end up painting over it, but it's there and it's out and it's done. And you know what a beautiful message that is, is it's available to anyone. You don't have to call yourself an artist with a capital A. No, exactly. Yeah. Is that what you were processing when you were doing all of your paintings, Caitlin? Did you feel like that was helping you process some of your um, trauma? Um, Yeah, but in a very abstract way. Mm. Um, Like I noticed, I would notice afterwards that I would feel um, elevated and I would feel, yeah, it's so hard to put into words, but it really, creating art in paintings made me feel like I was going to be okay. It almost gives you your power back, right? You get to take agency over what this means and how how you transcribe it or how you relate it, relate to it and through it. And you, you and it's a, and it's a power back. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's, um, and it's something, it's so abstract that no one can say anything about it. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. But you know, it's like, it's not up for debate. It's, we're not discussing this. It's not like I said, you said, she said, whatever. It's a piece of art and it's beautiful and it makes me feel alive and special and, and, um, and like I can, I can make things that are beautiful and, and that's all that matters. And if that means that I collect you know, like a basement full of paintings, which I kind of have, (laughs) and so be it. Um, But it just, it, it, it's like, it, it, it was almost like stripping off layers and like, and it was like, like another thing um, that I, that was, that was, um, you know, really apparent when I got sober was how much growing up I had not done and how, you know, I, I had, there were so many parts of myself that I, that I, that I left behind, um, as a child in, in, you know, um, traumatic, um, circumstances, but also when I started drinking every night, when I was, when I was 22, I made a decision that that was it from that moment on, I would never go to sleep sober. And, um, and, you know, and so when I got sober and everything started to clear, it was, it was a, it was a real, I mean, it was, it was terrifying really to see how immature I was in many ways. 
and the daunting task of how am I going to grow up? Like, how am I going to do this? I'm 44, you know, I was 43 when I got sober and, um, and then I was able to let that kind of that child play and paint and create and be all giddy and excited all by myself with my door closed and no one could see this process, but it was almost like this kind of rapid maturation process that, that happened. And I, and I was allowed to be good at stuff and I was allowed to be, to dance around and laugh and, 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 and cry and just be just, just a total crazy, joyful mess in my studio um, as I painted. Total permission, right? We just started giving ourselves, I had a little bit of arrested development with certain things and as well. And I, and I, um, that permission that I slowly started giving myself, I mean, I feel like a completely different person in some ways, um, than when I started. And I, my journey started when I was 43 as well, Caitlin. And I think that it just, there was this, there was an invitation and then I slowly started going, is that for me? Oh, oh, I guess that's for me. Okay. Oh, I can do that. Or I can. And now I find myself taking charge and creating situations and experiences and giving myself permission. Um, yeah. But that didn't, that was like a slow evolution. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, isn't that interesting? Like, I think you're like, you're four and a half years sober now, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm three and I'm just starting to take charge now as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's slow, but it's, and, and I'm sure this will just keep evolving, right? Like I know there's no kind of um, destination necessarily. It's uh, all part of this kind of unfolding, but have you, um, have you been doing other work that has helped you unfold? Have you been, you know, following different paths or teachers or people that can help you well, um, I have- discover this? Yeah. I mean, I have, I've been, I've been trying to um, be okay since I was totally, I mean, I've been, I've been seeking, like, it's so, it's so interesting now to see for um, Marianne Williamson um, running for president there Mm -hmm. and to think, you know, I've been reading her books since I was in my Mm twenties. And um, so I've been doing this kind, you know, that kind of like soul searching and, and, um, you know, like there was something in me that knew that there was something more. And, and I also knew like my, I was always afraid that I was crazy and I was always told that I was crazy. Um, it was part of the conditioning to keep me silent, um, Mm. in my family. But, um, so, you know, there was, there was a part of me that was always afraid that that was, that was the truth. And so I was always trying to sort of help myself in some ways, but since getting sober, I mean, getting, doing, doing a hip sobriety school, which is now called, um, Tempest, mm-hmm. um, was a, I mean, was Holly just taught me so much, not just about getting sober, but about being a person and claiming my life. And, and, um, and interestingly, actually, before I started to get sober, I had already started working on the victim mindset and it was very difficult for me to, um, I think for most people, when you first get told that you have a victim mindset, you're like, no, I don't. Who the hell do you think you are? You know, <laughs> you would feel this way too if you'd been through what I've been through. Yeah, That's, totally. And it's true. What and I, I hang on to, yeah. Yeah, but I think it's also, you need to, like you, like I, 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 I was running my life as a victim before I even realized that I had been one, yeah. you know? 
and so I think there is you do need to go through that 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 phase or that 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 acknowledgement um but then you need to get out of it right and um and so and so yeah and Holly was really I mean she was great in the sense that she wasn't um you know sort of telling you everybody you're not victims she was just seeing us for who we were underneath our victims as she was teaching us right yeah um and she was also a person who was just like writing a new story and it was very inspiring to watch her and and she um through hip sobriety school at the time the tempest it now we she did some um some kundalini with us some some kundalini yoga meditations techniques to to help us. And I actually did, um, a few of these kind of 40 day Kriyas they're called, um, while I was, while I was trying to stop drinking and, um, and it really helped and it really helped. Um, it really helped to, to connect me with a, with a God that I could love, you know, and a God that I could believe in and a God that I could connect with and, um, and acknowledge had, you know, was, was very much a part of my life anyway, whether I wanted to acknowledge the presence of, of God or not. And, um, and so then, uh, actually just last year, um, I, and, and through another woman, um, actually a friend of ours, Sasha, uh, she told me that, um, that Guru Jagat, who is a, a very, um, sort of powerful, uh, Kundalini teacher, uh, was coming to Berlin and she was like, Oh, you should check her out. And I did. And sort of slowly, but surely I've become very involved in Rama, um, Rama Institute, which is her, her, um, her Institute, her, her movement, her, I don't know, her church <laughs> she's, that yeah. she's started around the world. And it's been, I mean, wow, it's been really profound. The amount of growth that I've been able to, experience in the last um eight months since i've really really been serious and having a daily practice and and really getting into the teachings and just and just having it being a part of my every single day she but she also um not but she also really is kind of modeling this kind of like step up ladies right step into your power let's do yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. You know, what are your gifts and what are your gifts and why are you keeping them quiet? You know, totally. That- and yeah. And she also has this thing that Holly, that, that I, you know, I first experienced from Holly where, you know, she'll, she'll address you and she doesn't see, you know, the you that you perceive yourself as she sees you as the divine being like she sees through all the layers of bullshit and just sees for you, you for who you really are. And then all of a sudden you get, I, I get this, like this absolute like download or, or really, really clear feeling of who I really am. And I'm like, Oh wow. I want to get that. I want to feel that all the time. I've got work to do to peel off all of these layers. Mm. Does that feel um, uncomfortable at first? I would imagine. No, it's fascinating. Felt good. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you're like, wait, hold on, you're slicing right through everything. You're getting to the heart of who I am. Right, and then I'm, and then I go away by myself, and I and I notice myself still pretending, or mm. you know, um, playing small, self-deprecating. Um, I mean, God damn it. As much as I work on my victim mindset, it's still very much holding court around here sometimes. You know? Sure. It's easy to slip 
oh, back into old patterns. Totally. Um, but right, you're right. It's just knowing that you have choices and you're in control of your thoughts. Whereas, I, you know, before I started getting sober and then doing all of this work, I was just uh, just one big reaction to mm. everything that happened to me. Well, Caitlin, since we're friends, obviously, I mean, our listeners, I mean, I say, obviously our, our friends, uh, our, our listeners that might hear us today, like we're also in a gratitude circle together, me, you and Sandra and some other ladies. Yeah. And what's been really beautiful for me to witness um, are your lists. They're like a gift that I get every time you post them. And I haven't been on Facebook as much just because I haven't been um, over the last year. And but every time I get to download or ingest one of your lists and your words, like to see your evolution, to see it in real time and to kind of see like you, the way you write your lists are so beautiful. They're just like a present every time I go into the page and it's so beautiful to witness you in this way. It's like this quiet witnessing um, and how you affect me over here. Um, Cause you're all the way over in Berlin and I'm here in Northern California, but that's what's so lovely about the group. We all get to pop in, leave our gratitudes, leave, and we kind of can check in with each other that way. Like what's going on with her, what's happening, you know, Totally. Um, I love it. It's a gift. So I appreciate you and, and watching you kind of with the work that you've been doing with Guru Jagat. I can just see this shift that is occurring with you and it's, it's a, a miracle to see and just beautiful. Yeah. It's a, it's a real miracle to experience really on a, on a daily basis and, and it, and it helps so much with, um, with everything, but particularly, um, just as we were speaking about the victim mindset and this kind of, you know, this pattern of, um, of, 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 of seeing ourselves, experiencing ourselves as victims. And it's not, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's also something that I felt a lot of shame around, but as I peeled back the layers, I look and I see, it's not just because I had a traumatic childhood. I mean, we're, we're being taught and hypnotized to be victims by our whole society. You know, like you need this thing to feel better. You need this drug to heal the pain. You need this one. If you can't sleep, you know, we're, we're constantly told you're not okay. You need something outside yourself to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's just, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what I love about one of the many things that I love about Kundalini yoga is that, is that it's like a medicine cabinet of yoga kriyas. You know, it's like, uh. oh, I'm feeling anxious. I'll do sodashan, which is a breath technique. Or like right now, um, I've been doing um, a meditation. It has a longer name, but most of us know it as the Ma meditation. And it's um, and it's creating a, like a protective shield around myself and calling in the divine feminine, and that. And that feels really um, like such a gift that I give myself on a daily basis to achieve the kind of um, equanimity that I want to feel to live my life the way I want to live it. And I'm doing it for myself. I'm not hoping I'm going to feel good. I'm not like, you know, I'm really doing, I'm actively participating in giving myself what I need to be the way that I want to be in the world. Mm. Which is really powerful, right? And that's available to you anytime you want to do that, right? Totally. Mm-hmm. Well, like even things like I was having a meeting a couple of weeks ago with a, with a social media um, consultant 
and it's you know it's a lot of there's a lot of language that's that's new it's a lot of ideas that that are you know it was just a lot to take in and I found myself kind of on oh, no, my eyes are glazing over I'm just my brain shutting down and so I just excused myself went to the bathroom and did a brain fog clearing kriya for one minute and came back up to the meeting and just completely absorbed everything that was said from that moment on and you know, in the past, I would have felt like, oh, I've got brain fog. It's my thyroid. And oh, I'm getting older. I can't think of that. You know, it would have just been like a whole, I just would have started in on myself, um, which is another pattern, you know, criticizing myself, giving myself a hard time. Um, and I don't do that anymore. I'm like, I, I, I immediately think, okay, what can I do? And I do something. Solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's very powerful. And, and that in itself is empowering and, and, and then ripples out through other aspects of my life. I no longer look at things and think, you know, there's nothing I can do about, about this. It kind of, you know, it's that whole thing of like how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And it's a slow, um, for lack of a better word training, right? Like we have to train ourselves a little bit to do these. We have to keep practicing and repetition and ritual and routine. Like it's, you have to stay on it. Otherwise you're building a muscle basically. Absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a neurological path and, you know, in our brains, it's a way of being, it's a way of thinking that we've, that we've established over time and we need to, all we need to do is just establish a, a different way. And then, and then it takes hold and then all, and then, you know, and then the next thing comes along that needs looking at, it's like, it's a constant unfolding. But the good news is that it is an inside job, right? Because that we have control over everything else. Don't No, all those other things we grasp for outside of ourselves. We have no, we have no control over that and they're not going to fix. They're not going to fix it. It's all an inside job, but that's good news. Yeah. It's such good news. It is really, it's, it seems very daunting at first, but it's, it's, I mean, it's the best news. Do you feel um, like that, that you're modeling this solution? Um, is your husband and your daughter, are they absorbing some of these things from you? Like seeing they how really you're moving are. through the world? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool actually. That's um, beautiful. Yeah. My husband is, um, he has a daily practice now too, where he gets up every morning and does um, does meditation and morning pages. And um, and my daughter is doing. She's actually coming um, to some classes with me, and she's doing. A, it's a meditation for photographic memory. <laughs> ah, yes. And I and I thought, what a great way to get her excited about Kundalini yoga. Or because I find once people once people do a little, they do something and they get a result. They get really curious about about Kundalini yoga because it really is powerful and it works fast. And so I thought this would be a really good way as she's starting high school this year. And I was just like, you know, can you imagine? You just you look at the work once and then you remember everything. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now you've now you've got me intrigued. All right. Right. <laughs> right. It's very it's a good addiction. <laughs> yeah, my my son just went on this camping trip for 10 days, kind of a spiritual quest and they did kundalini um while they were on the on the trip and they do a a morning routine and they call it a Thanksgiving address and they do certain things and um you know, I'd love it if he would do that at home. It's um he gets home and then 
and some of that falls to the you know to the wayside but i would love it if he could find something that could bring him calm and peace i'll have to mention that to him yeah i mean if you i can send you a link um to the to that specific career okay please yes uh well i know that you wanted to share um a little deeper about certain a situation that we talked about before we started re- recording. Um, I, don't, I know this is kind of an awkward segue, but um, but about trauma, and I know that you've touched on that briefly earlier in the interview. But do you want to dive in any deeper and share with our listeners anything that might um, that they might connect with, or maybe um, in relation to some of the specific songs that you've yeah. written for your new EP? Um. Yeah, I mean that the there's one song, um, one of the songs called "The Light." I wrote um, when I a woman in in, in one of the um, sober circles that I'm in um, was really she reached out to me and um, and um, and she was really going through what I went through um, when that tsunami hit, and I started to remember my my childhood in just rapid fire and my, and I mean, it's, it's hard to, to, um, to describe how bad it was. Um, and, um, you know, one of the things was really being shut in and, um, and, and not being able to go out of the house. And when the, when the memories, um, would come back in, in flashbacks, my body would convulse and I would foam at the mouth. I mean, it was just, it was, it was the worst kind of madness. Um, and there was, um, I call it suicidal compulsion. I don't know if that's an, if that's a, a term, but, um, it's different from suicidal ideation, which I also experienced, but, it's this, um, it's a, it's almost like a, like a, it's like a magnet that is pulling you, your car off the road or your body over a cliff or something like that. And it's, um, it's, it's the most frightening, frightening experience. And, and she was going through this and, and, um, and I was able to say, I know I get it. Um, and talk to her about some of the things, talk to her about having experienced similar things and then watching how that just eased her um, and just, um, made her feel that, um, you know, having connected with me and seeing that I was okay, you know, and that I was having a good life and that I'd gotten through it. And not only had I lived through it, but I was living a really great life, you know, and she was, um, she was very alone and she couldn't see any way out of it. And I was this light. And so, um, and so I wanted to write a song for her and for people like her and for me, you know, a song that I didn't have because what I was going through is taboo and no one talks about it and it's shameful and we're supposed to pretend and hide that we, that we feel like we're getting pulled over a balcony and this, this, this madness that, that, that extreme um, post-traumatic stress disorder can be, you know, and and it, and it wasn't, and and I think that there is a lot of empathy around people who have been through, um, you know, more recent experiences of trauma or war or, um, things like this, but for people like this woman and me, we're expected to be over it by now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, um, and we're, we, we also got so, 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 so good at hiding. Um, and we don't want to be, you know, 
convulsing in the middle of the street so everyone can see. We do it alone by ourselves and feel so frightened and so mad and so alone. And, um, yeah, so I wanted to write her a song that she could listen to in that time and feel like um, that she could sing it. And I wrote it in the first person so that anyone who is who was listening to it could sing it for themselves. And um, And the chorus is basically just... Um, it's just uh, no words and it's just a, um, for me it was like a howling wolf and I had this image of being a lone wolf and, and just howling in mourning and also in calling for other wolves who might be lone and feeling rogue and feral and unspoken to mm. come together at least in, in energy and, um, and just just know that that you just howl yourself through it like literally howl to the moon if you need to and just just um because there is something that's very animalistic about that level of trauma where you no longer feel um you don't feel human you feel something really subhuman in these in these moments and um and so that's where that where that song came from Mm. um that's beautiful imagery caitlin yeah the um the far from home track caitlin yeah you had me listen to um before this released um i i sobbed when i heard that i felt like you wrote that for me (laughs) i was like she wrote my story she wrote my experience um oh tammy that is the most huge compliment thank you i mean that's what that is why anybody writes a song ever is for it to be, really is it for it to be someone else's song <laughs> well it seemed deeply personal it touched me um knowing that you wrote it as well but then yeah it was just so spot on and really beautiful yeah yeah so when you sh- when you're writing these deeply personal songs caitlin right and putting them out into the world like um I mean, I know just painting a painting and sharing it feels vulnerable, but your actual words and your voice and you're laying it all bare there. How, how did it feel to have this released last week? Um, you know, or, well, actually we're recording this week to, to release on Monday. How did that feel for you? You know what? It feels like the most normal thing in the world. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It's so weird. Ah, this is as it should be that's how it feels. It feels Mm. as it should be exactly. And I feel, I keep thinking I should be more like nervous or excited or something, but then I'm just like, no, this is, um, this is the evolution. And this is, you know, um, I knew I was born to do this. I know like this is, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, what I was put here to do. I I relate to that when I write something that is just, you know, revealing and feels extra vulnerable. Yeah, it's like even no one's questioning whether I should be doing it or not. But even if they were, it's like my answer would just be, I can't not, I can't not say this. I can't not express this. Right. And even if it, even if it just, there's something that is absolutely universally true about the fact that, that you wrote it and, and gave it to the world right that, and that's enough it doesn't even need to have be become anything more than that it's yeah. like a it's like a resonance there's something that's so truthful about it yeah 
Well, for all of the years that you were working with your husband and doing his label and, you know, co-producing things, like you said, and even all the work you've ever done with other people, like it has to feel, feel really good to step into yourself, create. So can you share the name of your label with our listeners? It's called Via Music, or in English, you would say Weir. It's W-I-R mm-hmm. and music with a K at the end instead of a C, um, Via Music. And it means us music, mm-hmm. our music. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And when you're creating that, like, again, your vision, your visual, uh, the name, what it means, like, it, it's all from you. It's like all of your creation. You're, you're like permeating every single part of this um, new endeavor that you're doing. And although it's not so new because you've been creating music, you know, but does it feel, um, I don't know, kind of electric? Does it just kind of feel like it's all, I don't know, to have it just be yours and separate from Thomas, I would imagine feels pretty good. Well, we're still producing it all together. <laughs> so oh, okay. Like same old, same old process. But um, no, but it has been interesting in the sense of, um, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting to, to, to work with your husband, you know, it's, I mean, it's a very interesting dynamic that we, that we negotiate on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Seven. Um, but, uh, and, you know, and when it comes to production, I mean, he, he's the one in, in his zone of genius, as far right. as like, he has something like I can, I can use exactly the same software, exactly the same synthesizers, everything. And when I touch the same knobs, it comes out sounding differently than when he does it. His zone of genius. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so there is like, um, so it is my project when we're, when we're um, producing, you know, songs that, that I've written, but there's also this, this, um, you know, this balance of, of, of deferring to him as well. And then for him giving up control to me. Mm. Um, and, and so it's been, it's an interesting, it's been a really interesting um, dance and, you know, and part of the reason why it's taken so long for me to, um, to put my music out again is because we couldn't dance that dance for a long time. It just, we would just clash. Mm. Um, mm. And so we had to really, really work on, um, on on the on the flow and harmony of our relationship and you know and what had happened for far too long was that I had been you know supporting everything that he needed to be able to do what he needed to do um and you know being his greatest cheerleader and uh you know taking the 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 load of um of bringing up our child and you know pandering to his moods and whatever to get him into the right creative space to be able to do what he does and I had to stop doing that because it was just so not sustainable um so it's been it's been a massive shift in our in our um in our productions and also in our relationship and and ultimately really awesome like the music that we're producing for his um for him um as Thomas Schumacher right now is just next level as well and and it's um it's like our our uh, our output is just so high. We're just creating so much music, and it's so fun in a way that mm. it's never that we've never experienced before. It's really cool. That is cool. Okay, I'm going to ask a question, and it's going to sound like I know what I'm talking about, but just know that I don't. So <laughs> when he goes out 
to do his work as a DJ, does he then use, will he use some of your tracks, your solo tracks? Well, actually, we're we're working on a remix package at the moment. Um, so my my vision was always um, so you know for me techno techno music was like the first time I ever heard techno was the first time I ever felt like oh I don't even know how to put it into words. I'll I'll describe what how it was. I was maybe seventeen or eighteen. I was very overweight, very pimply, very awkward. I wore stonewash mum jeans and green anoraks in the middle of summer because I was so ashamed of my body and I was greasy haired <laughs> in acting school. And um and I went to and I got invited to a party miraculously one night. And my and I and then the, the like it was over to someone's place and the people that this place it was said you know we're going to a party tonight you should come and I was like oh no I can't go and I certainly can't go dressed like this and actually the one of the um the women well girls at the time who's still my my most beloved friend um she said oh I can find something you can wear and she was like super skinny and really gorgeous and she found something in her wardrobe that fit me and took me to a techno party and it was the first time that I felt like I can dance and I belong here. And not only do I belong here in this dance, in this club with this music, but it made me feel like I could belong in the world. Mm. And since then, I've always loved electronic music. And so um, I've always wanted to make techno ballads. Like that's, that's what I've been, you know, I mean, we, we did that with Electrochemy, which was the band that I had, um, uh, from 2001 to 2008, I think we broke up. Um, and that was, that was kind of like, they were techno ballads, but it's still, I still wasn't, um, I didn't really have the kind of creative freedom that I wanted to have, but, um, yeah. So, so the idea was always to write techno ballads and release them, um, as 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 is and then do remixes so that the music could always like that so you could listen to the music in a club and dance or you could listen to it at home or in the car without the you know the heavy beats and the and the you know like the most of the songs are around like 90 to to 110 bpm beats per minute whereas in a dance in a in a club you want to have like 128 beats per minute or 100 and you know, at least 120 or something like that. So, um, yeah, so we're doing remixes of, of all of the tracks. And we also have another um, a wonderful artist named Victor Ruiz. And he's a, he's a really, um, he's a very uh, popular techno producer and DJ. And he's very into the music. So he's doing remixes as well. And that will get released next month as like, a, like an extra package. That's so exciting. So what is right? it going to be like? Are you already thinking about the first time you walk into a club when you hear your... You hear your voice. Well, I'm sure you've heard, you've, you've done, yeah. you've been yeah. in a band, so that's happened before, but I, I imagine it's only going to feel different now with your, with your solo work. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is like this time, I think I've never felt so behind what I'm doing before. Like I've never felt so 100%, you know, for it or with it or that it's really, it's really my vision made real. It's not um, me kind of compromising with anybody else's vision. Mm. 
I liked how um, in your bio um, that your voice was described by one journalist as uh, like being punched in the face with a velvet glove. How freaking awesome is that? <laughs> that was one of my favorites ever. <laughs> yes, please. Can you put that everywhere? I mean, I would get bumper stickers made with that. <laughs> I, call the, I call it the melancholy menace. <laughs> Oh, oh, I love it. I just love how you stepped into yourself, Caitlin, and that you get, and that you are sharing your gifts, like that you're sharing all of your passions and talent and with us. And I feel really, really fortunate. Yeah. How can our listeners find your music? Uh, Well, you can go to Spotify and um, search on Freaks and Misfits. um, And you can also search on Caitlin. C-A-I-T-L-I-N. Um, if you go onto my Instagram, you which is Caitlin here, um, you can um there's a there's a link in my bio um which will either lead you straight to like um I can't remember what they call it, but you know, it like it links you straight to like a page where there's like a landing, like a landing page kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Where there's like, you can either click on Spotify or Beatport or YouTube Mm -hmm. and all the places where you can stream and purchase music. Got it. Um, And you can also go onto my website, which is caitlinhere.com. And that has um, my art and it also has links to all the music and, um, and and it also has like a medium link to some of the writing that I've, that I've put, put out there. Um, and it's here, H-E-R-E, right? H-E-R-E, exactly. Good. And I know we kind of breezed over this, but I just want to want to state it again. When this, not as we're recording this, but as you will be hearing this when it's released, it is your three-year sober anniversary, right? That's right. Congratulations. I know. Thank you so much. Oh God, what a blessing. If anyone is out there thinking about stopping drinking alcohol, please do it. It's the best. It's like the hardest thing I've ever done and the most miraculous, constantly unfolding wonder that I've ever given myself. I mean, really, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Holy moly. Like I can't like, the amount of growth and love and achievement and wonder and self support and just, ah, like I'm, my dreams are coming true with every breath. It's, it's hard to describe how much better life is without alcohol. It's just, it's just so much better. Mm. Yeah. My son said, my son said to me the other morning, Caitlin, um, that some friends of his were talking about um, their junior year and drinking and drugs. And Grady told them, I'm not going to drink or do drugs this year. And the other kid t- said to him, well, how boring is your year going to be? <laughs> and Grady was talking to me about this on the drive to carpool. And I said, what did you say? And he was like, I just told him that's one way you could look at it. <laughs> 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 and I was like, good. Because I, and I said, but Grady, I used to think that way. I mean, oh, that's yeah. not a foreign idea. What he said there is, you know, people think that way. I said, trust me, it's anything but. It is what you make it. It's hard at first, and it's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns, as I say, but it's um, it's so worth it. Look, absolutely. And I think, 
I mean, I think maybe uh, one of my hopes is that, you know, our kids have seen firsthand the difference between using alcohol and not using alcohol. Yeah. And it's clear and it's so much better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I hope, I hope that they got to, I hope that we spared them that, you know, what we went through in that, in that sense that they can, that they, that they can, that they, that they can, that they've had a firsthand experience of, yeah. of, you know, of life with and life without. Yeah. To see the difference for sure. Yeah. But um, one thing I'm very conscious of is, is, um, is not being judgmental about it. Um, you know, because it's the pot calling the kettle black, but also because I don't want my daughter to ever feel like she can't talk to me about it. If she, if she does try it, you know, yes. yeah. I don't want to feel like I would judge her for it. Same. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we know. Um, I feel like we still have about 27 more things to talk about. I know. I think we have to wind it up. <laughs> I know. That's why I was being quiet. I was like, I could talk about that for a very long time. But right. we will. Maybe yeah. we should. Maybe we should do it again. Okay. <laughs> you, can come, you can come back on the show anytime you want, Caitlin. I love it. It's been too long. I can't believe we waited two years for that. I'll probably uh, speak to you. <laughs> I know. Well, okay. So this is the part of the show where we get real sad that it's almost over. Um, but that we ask you if you have some things to kind of share with our listeners um, that either help you creatively or something in your sobriety, um, something that is kind of like your go-to. Um, we ask for these items and we call it the unruffled toolbox to see what maybe you go to to remain unruffled. So do you have three things to share? I do. I mean, I think it's no big surprise that number one is Kundalini Yoga. <laughs> you know, that's my number one Um yeah, that I go to every single morning and then throughout every day. Um, I have a daily practice um, of a set of, of meditations that I do. And, um, and yeah, and then I use it throughout the day as needed. Um, number two is um, 100% responsibility. This is really powerful. Um, taking 100% responsibility for every aspect of my life even if it's clearly someone else's fault <laughs> um yeah seeing your part seeing your part in things well not even that like really taking a hundred percent responsibility like absolutely 100 percent right um, what i always say is i'm a hundred percent responsible for the quality of my life and so that means that I get to think about things however I want to think about them. If I decide that it's hard, it's going to be hard, et cetera. Right. Or, you know, like you can take one, one experience and you can, you can perceive it or store it however you want. Right. You can see like that's so unfair or you can see, oh, that delayed me a few minutes and therefore I probably missed, um, you know, crashing into a car, but I'll never know. Or like, I don't know, that's a bad example, but just always taking responsibility for every, every aspect of my life and not, not, not getting into storytelling, not getting into justification, no excuses right. and just owning everything. Um, it, it's, it saves so much time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, and the, and the third one is morning pages. So every morning I wake up and I get a coffee and I sit down and I write three pages, um, no matter what. 
and then I do my yoga. Um, and that, that is something that, um, that I've been doing, I, I would say for two years now. And, and I, and I feel it's, um, what it is, is it's, it, is I'm showing up for my most important relationship first thing every single day, no matter what. And that's my relationship with myself. Um, and I can, I just, every morning there is some kind of epiphany, at least one, if not more. And, um, and all of the things that I'm learning seem to kind of all like the, like puzzle pieces all come in and, and, and kind of make sense in big blocks every day. And, um, and I feel like it's really, um, facilitating this maturing that I was talking about where, where, um, you know, I'm able to actually witness myself getting it and growing and, um, you know, and also I'm able to, you know, as trauma comes up, as grief comes up around, you know, um, different, you know, different things, I can process it every day and I don't, and I'm never storing things up and, and getting, you know, angry with my husband about, about something that I'm actually just really sad about. I'm, I'm, I'm processing things, um, you know, on a daily basis. And it's, and it's really, it's really, really important. And it also feels like I, 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 every morning I get to be with my best friend and that's me. Mm-hmm. I just started doing them again, Caitlin, this last month. And yeah, I'm solving so many problems before right. the sun even comes up <laughs> in terms yeah. of in my own brain, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and meeting yeah. myself that way. And I um I let that practice go for a long time and I'm I'm so happy I picked it back up. So that's a yeah. great tool. Yeah, I, I started I did the the artist um what was it called? The artist the way. Artist way. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did that in the nineties and mm-hmm. I and I and I had a morning pages practice then too. And um yeah, I just picked it up two years ago and was um it's just become an absolutely you know, it just it just has to happen every day. And and I look forward to it. I I'm I I really, I, it's not something I have to make myself do. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important thing to, to put a pen in as, you know, life is busy, but we have to prioritize and do our most meaningful work first, like do it first. Oh, absolutely. Because otherwise you just get, it just, well, everything, it just gets in the way for the rest of the day. Like I clear everything out and set myself on a really good path first thing every morning. And it doesn't mean that my day always goes smoothly, but it goes a whole lot better than if I just sort of you know, throw myself into the world and hope for the best. You know? Right. <laughs> Earlier this summer, I heard a woman say, uh, how do you dress your soul for the day? You oh. know? And, and it really stuck with me because she's saying, how long do you spend getting ready in the morning, getting dressed and putting on your makeup? Mm. And then how, how long do you spend getting your soul ready for the day? She's like, probably a minute, right? Like I was spending a minute. Yes. And, and so that is the most important relationship. You're right. And in, in prioritizing and it. It's so interesting. I used to be someone who would not leave the house without makeup. And now I don't have time anymore. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much. We're so excited for your EP release, Freaks and Misfits. So I hope excited. it is wildly successful. And I am so honored to be your friend and have you back oh. on the show. Same goes, ladies. Same goes. Same, Caitlin. Love you. Love you too. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Stay tuned after the credits where you'll hear Freaks and Misfits in its entirety.
The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.